another season in the books, the podcast featuring European professional athletes who pursue their university degrees at home or in the United States. We'll talk about the ups and the downs, the pros and the cons. We'll hear from each athlete as they talk about their journey through academics and athletics. I'll also be talking to coaches and getting their opinion on the subject as well. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, 11-year veteran in Spain's professional basketball leagues, Liga Femenina 2 and La Liga Endesa. Let's get to it! Angel Robinson is one of the best female basketball players the state of Minnesota has ever seen. She was crowned Miss Basketball of Minnesota in 2007, went on to have an outstanding student-athlete career at Marquette University, was drafted to the New York Liberty, and then passed to the Minnesota Lynx 15 minutes later, where she had to compete for a spot amongst the nation's best in Maya Moore, Simone Augustus, Candace Wiggins, and of course, Lindsay Whalen. Unfortunately, Angel missed the cut, but she has been playing professionally overseas ever since, living in places like Turkey, Sweden, Puerto Rico, Switzerland, Poland, Romania, and Spain. With eight years of professional basketball experience under her belt, Angel has had the opportunity to see and experience many different cultures, as well as form relationships with many different people from all over the world. Listen in to hear about Angel's journey, what she thinks about the European basketball system, and what snacks are a must-have in her suitcase before taking off for Europe. All right, today we are here with Angel. Angel, all the way from Malaga. Good morning. Thank you for uh, joining me today. Good morning, Leslie. Thanks for having me, friend. <laughs> I know this is awesome. Minnesota connection. Um, but we haven't seen each other in like three years. So this is a special little opportunity. It's a good excuse to reconnect is what it is. <laughs> yes, uh, a reunion, <laughs> unexpected <laughs> reunion. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, Angel, tell me about your first sport memory. My first sport memory is when I was dancing. Yeah. I used to be a little ballerina, tap and jazz girl. Ah! I, yeah. <laughs> I was part of a, a Barney in the Background gang. You remember Barney, the show? <laughs> yeah. I love you. You love me, of course. Yeah. I was dancing at like the biggest uh, dance studio in Minnesota at Larkin's. Uh, dance studio. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was so good too. I was so good that at ah. five years old they put me up with like the eight-year-olds. Like I was really good. Really? Is there are are there videos of this? I have all the recitals on VHS, and I still have my like dance shoes and my little dress I used to wear. <laughs> oh my gosh! So that yeah. was like your mom or your dad getting you into that definitely probably my mom or so because my dad was into sports but yeah when my parents were together I was dancing girl (laughs) well hey that was a good base of uh, footwork I'm sure (laughs) seriously (laughs) definitely wow so how many years did you do that for Man, you know, that period was kind of like kind of hard to remember I'm not really sure how long I did it um I've not, I did it for a few years because actually when my parents divorced, we ended up staying with my dad. So I think that's why I stopped dancing and got into sports more. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Do you have any pictures of that? 
Yes, I do. I'm the pussy little angel in a tutu. (laughs) (laughs) I was so cute. I was holding my little Barney and my little picture and stuff. Yeah, they were awesome. It was awesome. Wow. Um, Okay, well, there you go. You learn something new every day. Um, (laughs) So then you start living with your dad, and he was super into sports. So from then on, it was what, like basketball, baseball, football, I don't know. I pretty much played every sport. I played with the boys. I played basketball, of course. I definitely played football. Football was kind of an accident. I remember um, my dad, he was coaching like the peewees, you know, I think maybe like fourth grade, maybe fifth grade or something. And I was just going to his game, you know, just to go with him because I like being with my dad. And his quarterback, his name was, uh, what was his name? We called each other by last names. That's what they did in football. So they called him like Cherokee or something like that. Anyways, he was so scared to play. So my dad turned around like, hey, Angel, you want to play? And I was like, yeah. So they gave me the football equipment. And then I was like his starting <laughs> quarterback. <laughs> no way. Yeah, That's awesome. So I played football for a couple of years until we got to junior high because he was like, you know, these guys are too big now and I don't want my baby girl to get hurt. So I right. had to stop playing football, but I definitely played baseball in junior high with the boys. I was the catcher. Okay. So you had an arm. Yeah. I mean, to definitely. play quarterback and catcher. <laughs> I'm ready to play football all the time. <laughs> oh my gosh. But then were any of your brothers on the teams as well? Did you play like with? Oh, no, actually I didn't because my brothers were much older. I have two younger brothers and two older brothers. My oldest brother is like seven years older than me. Okay. And my second oldest brother is like four, yeah, like four years older than me. Okay. I don't think he was on the baseball team I played on because, again, I played always with older group of kids. So Mm -hmm. I was always like everybody's little sister, the young little girl. But, you know, they thought it was cool that I had all of this, like, you know, I wasn't scared to do nothing with the boys. Right. Um, (laughs) I'm trying. So when you were that age, like when you were playing, did you have a short little boy haircut or did you have like cute little pigtails or something? (laughs) I mean, you had your dance era, so I'm assuming you were pretty girly. Yeah, no, I had still my long hair. I think at that time when I was like being a little roughneck with the guys, I just had my hair in a ponytail with this big, long braid. Okay. I had that long braid forever. I think I retired the ponytail long braid maybe when I got to high school. Because <laughs> oh. <laughs> I know I had short hair and I played with the boys and everybody in the stands always thought I was a boy playing with the girls. You, you know, know, I think it's kind What's of like that a boy doing thing. out there. <laughs> I feel like white parents always just chop their daughter's hair off and you guys always <laughs> look like little boys. <laughs> Oh, I never really thought about that. Do you think that's a cultural thing? Like, oh, because I've had like a lot of white friends, and when I look at their pictures younger, they always look like little boys. But I think it's because their parents didn't know what to do, like hairstyles. And we had hairstyles, you know. Like I used to have my hair, like you know, I have single braids now. Right. I used to have like parts with uh, 
you know, little like little different ponytails with the barrettes and, you know, we used to have hairstyles back in the days. <laughs> yeah, like nice detailed hairstyles, not me. <laughs> yeah, I used to have my hair braided all the time when I was like, you know, fifth to like eighth grade. I always had braids in my hair. Yeah, yeah. so oh, I didn't that's funny. have like too much of the boyish hairdos. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, all right. So then you grow up playing all these sports. When would you say you finally started to dedicate yourself more seriously to basketball? Definitely. I think when I got to my first girls, girls team, I mean, I played for the boys cause I didn't know there was girls basketball and we came across this program and I was with that program for man, like eight years, maybe. And then, um, yeah, so like the AAU days, like fifth grade, I think I started to take it serious. And um, yeah, it's been taken off since. So you you played AAU ever since fifth grade? Yeah, yeah. I played for this club um, called MLK, Martin Luther King. is the uh-huh. rec center in St. Paul. It was called Martin Luther King Junior Recreation Center. And there was a program called Sugar. S-U-G-A-A. Uh, and we used to have a chant though, like S-U-G-A-A. Like <laughs> sugar, sugar, go sugar. But I do remember playing against teams called Sugar or Sugar. Yeah. Yeah. I, you probably was playing against um Ashley Mylan's team, Ellis Mylan. Yeah, I'm pretty yep, I'm pretty sure. Yep, yep. So yeah, she's known me since I was a little little chick. So I played with them. Um, All right. So you're playing AAU and then you're like junior high, high school. I'm assuming that the other sports, you were no longer playing baseball. You were no longer playing, you know, football, obviously. Right. Um, (laughs) I know you have a story about uh, practicing your ball handling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I was really close with my stepbrother and, uh, He's the reason why I actually gained to love basketball the way I do, because he literally trained me since we were kids. And like, I just would remember, like, we will always when we did have cable, we will always watch the NBA Classic channels. So we always watched like the championship games and all these players that wasn't in our generation. But we knew because we always studied basketball. And we would like watch like Allen Iverson do a move or like Kobe Bryant do a move. And we would literally go to the gym or to the park and we would not leave until we learned the move. And mm-hmm. it was just, he just had this thing about him. You know, he's probably like junior high and I'm like in elementary school, but there was something about him that drove him that I inspired and just wanted to be as good as he was too. Mm-hmm. So we just always would do stuff like, like if, you know, we couldn't be at the rec center past like 10. So we always had to come home, but we still wanted to play basketball. So we would just find creative ways to like do stuff. And um, we would, the basement in our home was like, had junk all in the bag. So we kind of turned it into our own little workout room. But the problem was above, above the little place that we made our workout room is our parents' room. So we will always be down there dribbling and they used to yell at us. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. 
they didn't like it. So we had to go in the garage and the garage was just full of tools and stuff. So you couldn't put no cars in it. So what we used to do was for some reason, I don't know how we came up with this or how my brother came up with it. We used to go in there, pop in some little Wayne or something in the CD player. And we would have a contest. We would turn a light off. And because it was so much stuff in a, in a garage on the floor, we had to dribble without hitting something for a, through a whole song. And if you messed up, you had to start the song over. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's kind of how that came about. Yeah. And then um, the news people got whiff of this story. And then they made a whole story about it on the news. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that's great. I mean, I'm just thinking of two little kids, like, just trying to think of some sort of game that they can play, you know, and uh, your ball handling exactly skills have never been the same since. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it was. It was like we were trying to figure out a game, something to do with the basketball, like to be fun, you know, not to have do the same boring pound dribbling drills, you know, like. Right. So. And you're probably going to the beat of the song, too. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, that's awesome that you had, you know, like role models or older brothers to to imitate and uh, just play with. Because sometimes I think about the kids that didn't have older siblings or that started later in life. And I'm like, wow, you know, compared to you and I who had older siblings and we were always around it. Um, but OK, so then you get into high school. What was the recruiting process like for you? Because I know for so many kids, that process is overwhelming and um, they don't know what to do or how to like go about it. Um, what was it like for you? When did you receive your first letter? Do you even remember? I think I might have started receive my first letter maybe like in eighth grade. Wow. Yeah, I think it was like around eighth grade because in eighth grade, I was playing varsity basketball at that time. Mm-hmm. So, and me and my, one of my close friends, Ebony Black, we both were in eighth grade. Yeah, we just ended up going to the same high school to play, to practice after um, school. And then we were just, next thing you know, we were on a team. We were playing varsity basketball in eighth grade. And I think that's when, like, the letters started flowing in. I don't remember exactly who it was from. But mm-hmm. I think in eighth grade, I started getting those letters. Did you commit early or did you go on your official visits or did you take unofficial visits? I kind of went through the whole process. I did unofficial visits um, and then I did all of my official visits. Oh, you did so, all five. Yeah, I committed. I think at like the last period you can commit. I think I did. Okay. Yeah. Which is very different to now. I think girls nowadays commit really early. They might not even go on one official visit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think, I think that's too, because of social media too. I think you're able to like, uh, get exposed to universities a lot more through, um, through social media. You can see, you know, a lot of highlights from different girls in women's basketball and universities. And before, like, we really just had our letters and stuff to depend on. Like, what, and then we had to look it up. I mean, at that time, we were sending the coaches' emails back and forth. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I think it's a, I think the process is much easier for, for guys and girls these days to pick a university because it's right in front of them and they can 
be attracted to what they want to be attracted to the weather, the guys, the girls, the, the fans or whatever it is, the, the, the gear they get, you, you know, like, Oh, they're sponsored Jordan. Let's go to a Jordan school. Like, you know, <laughs> it's a lot more of that now than when we were getting recruited. <laughs> yeah. Where were the, all the five schools that you took your visits to? Oh man, I did, uh, Illinois, Pittsburgh, Marquette, uh, uh Minnesota. Huh. Um, which I was probably there, but I don't remember. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I think. Or I wasn't there, there that day. You guys that were gone for something. I think you were gone, though. Huh. Yeah, because you'd think I would hope I would remember, but maybe I was yeah, gone. I mean, this was like a long time ago. This I was know. like 2000, what, six and seven? <laughs> At least. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember a few of your teammates were gone. But because I know, like, uh, um, Corinne was my uh, host. Host, yeah, and her and pretty much Brianne Sally. Uh, I saw Corinne uh, when I was in Logroño. She was playing for a team in Tenerife, I think. This was a couple years ago now, but yeah, crazy. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Yeah, I've seen Corinne around here and there. That was the homie. Huh. Okay, so how did you decide on Marquette? You know, it's weird because, you know, a lot of people like try to go to colleges like with their best friends. I literally so backstory, um, the AU program in Minnesota I was playing for, I felt like I wasn't going to be for some odd reason. I thought this in like I think maybe at the end of my freshman year, so, uh, freshman year of high school, I was like, you know what? I need something bigger and better. Like this team is not going to help me get to the next level you know mm-hmm. and I think that was the year like all the good girls kind of left because they were going to college I think like Ashley Mylan and them like that group so we weren't going to practice against good girls anymore or whatever but anyways I was kind of over it long story short one of my teammates ended up moving to Chicago and started playing for this really good AU program there they was looking for a point guard. They were looking for a point guard. So my dad was good friends with her dad and called me and was like, hey, John, called my dad and was like, hey, John, you know, like, I think you should bring Angel down here, like, blah, 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 blah. We went down there for a weekend. They loved me. I loved them. So I started playing for this team in Chicago. Wow. So how frequently were you going there? Dude, I was driving, me and my dad and my stepbrother, we would drive every other Sunday for practice. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And like my first summer there, I was kind of like, literally, I was kind of staying with whatever team would let me stay. Teammate would let me stay with them. So I was like hopping around every week or two from home to home. And my dad would send me money here and there when I needed it. And then the other, the second year I played with them, I would just meet them at the AU tournaments. (laughs) Wow. No practice, no nothing, just straight to the games. I, well, I would still do the practice like when I could every other Sunday, but yeah, I would just meet them. So I wasn't just living out of the suitcase for like three months out of the summer. Like that's crazy as a high school student. Like um, yeah. I don't know how old are you in this as a sophomore, like and you're going from home to home <laughs> for basketball. Wow, I didn't I didn't know you did that. Yeah, actually, there's a lot of people that don't don't know I did that. <laughs> That's like a six, seven hour drive. 
Yeah, like six, six and a half. Yeah. And we were practicing like in the suburbs too. So it was probably like further. And, you know, it's not like in Chicago. To right. go to the suburbs is further than Chicago. So it was probably like a six and a half, seven hour drive every other Uh huh. So is that how you got a better view of Marquette or? Yeah. Yeah. That's how I was think I was able to attract the schools that I attracted, like the bigger schools, because there was nobody coming to Minnesota to recruit like that, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, I mean, I remember going to AU tournaments and people were shocked to see these black girls from Minnesota. They were like, where is this team from? Who is Sugar Storm? And we're like, we're from Minnesota. And literally people would be like, there's black people there. And I'm like, yes. (laughs) So, so like, there was nobody coming up to Minnesota to freaking recruit. So I needed to do, you know, I took the chance in Chicago and that's how I got my exposure. We were sponsored by Adidas. We went to all the top tournaments in the country. And that's how it led me to Marquette because like four of my teammates that I've known for two years, three years at this time, they like signed at Marquette. And somehow the girl, they convinced my ass to go. Cause I was like, you know what? And, and they used to compare me to like, I remember there was this article um, in Minnesota. They used to call, compare me like to Dwayne Wade. Like she's like the D Wade. And I didn't know who Dwayne Wade was. Ah. And so like Marquette started recruiting me. So I started to pay attention to them more. And then I would see, you know, I watched, um, you know, I would just see more of him now. And I'm like, dude, this is going to be awesome. Like, like, I'm already the female Dwayne Wade. So like, you know, this is cool. Like that was engaging more and more to Marquette. But, you know, I already knew four of the girls that were going there. We did really well together for AU. They convinced me to go to Marquette and the coaches were just amazing. And yeah. this is the main reason I'm going to tell you. We didn't have to stay in dorms. Oh, you went straight into like an apartment or something? Yes. Yes. And I'm like a semi-germaphobe. So I was like, you know what? I'm sold. <laughs> I'm sold. I don't have to go in the showers with other people. I'm sold. I'm coming. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But that's so funny. You talk about um, like people saying there are black people in Minnesota because when you signed for Legroño and you came, I think so many of my teammates, they see me and they think, oh, Leslie's Minnesota. And then, uh, and then you came to play on the same team. And I'm like, see, like we have a variety of people in Minnesota. Like, you know, I mean, I just, I love We are multicultural in Minnesota. (laughs) I love breaking the stereotypes or like, you know, what people think. So, um, yeah. yeah. So then you go to Marquette, um, and you have a really good four years there, uh, or was it more than four years? Uh, no, no, no. I, I was there for, I was there for four years. I ended up going back to finish my degree. Okay. Yeah. Right. Because at the end of your four years, you did so well that you got drafted. Yes. Yes. I was definitely grateful and shocked that I was drafted. Yeah. Second round, second round to New York Liberty, 22nd pick. Um, Yeah. And like 15 minutes later, I was traded to the Minnesota Lynx. Right. 15 minutes later, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. We're we're switching teams and you're going to the Minnesota Lynx who had drafted. Was that the same year? 
Yeah, yeah. Maya, yeah, Maya Moore was our number one draft pick that year. I mean, they were just stacked. And I was like, are you kidding me? Why are you bringing me back home? You guys don't need me. Uh, yeah, it was a bittersweet to... situation, I could say the least. Yeah, you had to try to find a spot on a team and you were competing against Maya Moore, Lindsay Whale. Was she there? Yep, it was Maya, Lindsay, Candace Wiggins, Simone Augustus, Monica mm-hmm. Wright, um, and Alexis Hornbuckle. Right. Yeah. Tough. Tough. I mean, you got three Olympic guards on the team for the USA team. Then the other three were All-Americans. And one, Alexis already had a championship with with the head coach at Detroit Shock when they were a team. So, yeah, I don't know where I fit in that equation. So they could have just kept my ass in New York, to be honest. But it's OK. <laughs> it was a good it was a good learning process. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you made it. You were like the last cut. Yeah. Yeah. I was the last cut. So when that day came and they told you that they weren't uh, planning on keeping you around, what what were the next steps after that? Was then you started thinking about playing overseas or? I mean, yeah. I mean, that always was kind of like my dream and my goal. I never thought that um, I was ever going to be drafted. That was not one of my goals as a basketball player because, I mean, I've always been the underdog my whole life. I was always looked over even though I have all the individual accolades, maybe every McDonald's All-American has that I, you know, I have all of these things, but I never was in the category of, you know, the best. So I didn't put that stand. I didn't put that standard on me to make it to the WNBA. I was like, all right, yeah, I'm just, I'm going to go overseas for sure. That's always been a dream. So, you know, when that process was over with the WNBA, I was very much thankful for it because it is a lot of girls' dreams that play basketball. And I definitely didn't take it for granted, you know. Uh, I took what I took from it and I moved on and, yeah, I went overseas. And my first experience wasn't the best. I didn't think I was ever going to be back in Europe. (laughs) Remind me where you went your first year. I was in um, a town called Jehanadana, Turkey. Turkey. Yeah. And, uh, and your experience wasn't the best because of the level of basketball, because your teammates, because the culture. I mean, it was probably more than one factor, but. It was really the organization. Like when I got there, everything seemed cool. And I was just waiting for the other WNBA girls to get there. And they were super, super cool. Um my roommate, uh, she taught me a lot. I was only there for like a month or something. Then they were just trying to do some shady business with, with me and kind of take advantage of me being a rookie and not really knowing the ropes. Uh, I was in like a little scary situation, you know, being forced into the office and, you know, they're trying to give me all this money. And I'm like, no, like, you know, I was pretty much forced to turn, uh, terminate my own contract. That hmm. was guaranteed. So even if they cut me for no reason, I would still get all my money for the year. But girl, come to find out, when I left, the team went bankrupt anyway. So it just was not. I'm glad I got out when I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of players maybe in high school, 
they don't know about this world of European basketball. Um, but there are situations, many situations where uh, you're not paid correctly. Uh, shady things happen. Um, yeah, you're not protected by your university team anymore. That's for sure. Yeah, you know, you got to really learn that business side of things really quick. And, you know, it was unfortunate for me because they weren't allowing me to like call my agent or nothing. So that that was weird to me. And I'm like, I'm not signing nothing. But at that point, like they had it planned out. They did this an hour before we were going on like a 10 hour bus trip. So, you know, they needed to rush things. And I was sick, too, at the time. Like I was having stomach problems coming out of both ends okay <laughs> so <laughs> so I was like sick for like already like a week and they weren't giving me medicine and I'm just like you know I'm, I just need to go so I just had to make the decision like I could keep playing these games with them and like I don't know what they're gonna do freaking kill me or something I was just over it I was just like dude give me the rest of this money for like two months and I'm out of here like I don't really care did you um, have somebody speaking to you in English? There was somebody who who could barely, relate. No, nah, there was barely was like six big dudes in there. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, am I about to get kidnapped? What the? <laughs> so, yeah, I wasn't feeling good. And I was just kind of freaked out. And I was like, man, this, I don't know. And every time I got up, I tried to call my agents. They would stand up. And it was just a, a lot of weird stuff going on. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm not from here. So. What, what I got to do to get up out of here, huh. you know? And that's just all I was thinking. Like, I just need to get home. So I had to terminate my contract. That was like the only thing I could do pretty much because that's what they allowed me to do. And then I went back to my apartment. They pretty much left me stranded there for like three days. And then finally, my agents threatened him. And next thing you know, I got my flight back home. I was like, listen, I don't care how many flights I need to take to get back home. If it's 10, get me out of here. And I left, girl. And I was like, hmm. I ain't coming back. Forget this. But, you know, I ended up having to sit out that year. Remember I told you I had, um, when I left that situation, I went back to the university to practice with the girls to stay in shape. And that's when I blew my back out and ended up having to sit out, like, my whole rookie season and get a back surgery. Mm-hmm. And what was your your major? Communication studies. Communication studies, just like me. There we go. Um, all right. So yeah, you you went back, you finished your degree, and then you eventually got back to going overseas. Yeah, I went to Sweden. Okay. So give me just a quick uh, summary. So you were in Turkey, then you yep. went to Sweden. Sweden. Then I went to Switzerland. Switzerland, okay, which is where I played my first year. Not at the same team, but yeah, you were in the Swiss League, okay, then? Yeah, uh, Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, I forgot about that one. Yeah, that was fun. That was like the little summer thing, because that, that season's like the summer up until like October or something. Right. Okay, Puerto Rico, then? I think I was in Poland for two years after Puerto Rico. Okay. Romania. Uh-huh. So I was in Romania the last three years. And then at the end of right before playoffs, the last three years I've ended in Spain. <laughs> yep. You came to Logroño. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I, re- I totally remember because we were signing people every like two weeks. We had a new player on the team and we needed we needed a point guard. And um, I don't know why all of a sudden I was like, oh, my gosh, we're going to sign Angel. And I, I sent you I think I sent you a text message or something. And you were like, yeah, I think I'm going to Spain. And I'm like, well, what team? And you're like, I don't know. I'm like, you are totally coming to my team. <laughs> And the next day or two days later, you were like showed up to practice. It was hilarious. Um, yeah, that conversation was so funny because I remember that too. Because I was like, hold up, I know somebody in Spain. I was like, Leslie. So I remember writing you, and you were like, yeah, we're supposed to be getting another player. And I was like, girl, see if you guys need a guard. Like, I want to come to your team. <laughs> and then we're like back and forth. I was like, oh my God, I don't know who, what team I'm going to. I'm trying to find out the information. And then Next thing you know, I'm on your team. Yep, yep. So then you were in Logroño, and then after Logroño, that's when you went to Malaga, which is also yeah. in Spain. Yes. Okay. And now you're in your second year in Malaga. Yes. Okay. So you've really had a good chance to travel, see the world. I mean, play in kind of tropical, exotic places like Puerto Rico, and then you go to like cold Poland, and now you're in the Mediterranean of Spain. I mean, you've you've done, and you were in Sweden. I mean, you're up north. You've you've seen a lot of the world thanks to you know this sport we all love. I also wanted to ask you. This podcast is called Another Season in the Books which has kind of a double meaning, you know, like another season come and gone. And then at the same time, another season in the books, um, meaning like players that are professional and that study at the same time. In all your different teams, I know as a foreigner, sometimes it's hard to to really get to know your teammates, especially if there's a language barrier. But looking back at all your different teams, did you have teammates that were studying in the university, um, you know, trying to balance both at the same time? Do you remember? <clears throat> Yeah, I think on every team I played with, I've had, um, yeah, especially the younger girls, they were always at the university and then coming to practice, mm-hmm. uh, especially here in Malaga, for sure. We have a lot of the, a lot of young girls, like 18, 19, 20, 21, they're all studying. So, you know, we're trying to um, manage our practice times around their schedules. So, yeah, I think in every club I've been part of, yeah. There's been player students. <laughs> mm-hmm. And compared to the American system, you know, where you're on a scholarship specifically to play and study, and it's a little easier because your professors and your tutor, you know, they work your schedule around so you can make all your practices, make all your classes. Right. Then there's the European system where the two are not connected at all as far as school and sports. And it's a little bit more difficult probably for them to make all the practices, make all their exams. Um, When you look at it, do you have a preference? Like, do you think if you could do it all over again, would you want to be a young player playing up with professional players like you, but then having to figure out your studies on your own? Or would you prefer sticking with the American system? Oh, man, that's tough because I think I always tell people I think it's an advantage being uh, a European and loving basketball at a young age because you're playing at a professional level at a young age. So I think that um, skill wise, especially as a girls basketball player, I think they're more elite than when we were going into college, you know, because. Because we play with our age or group for 
our whole career until we become professionals, you know? And I think that's why uh, the first couple years might be a little bit hard to adjust to because we're not used to such high level of playing like the European girls are, girls and guys are. Um, as far as like the academic system, I, I was such handicapped for four years. Like for four years straight, we have a schedule for the whole month for four years. We know that we have class uh, from the morning and then we practice in the afternoon, you know, and then you have to go to study hall, then you have to eat, blah, 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 blah. That really messed me up. Like, uh, it made me a handicap. Like, it was hard the first two, three years adjusting to, like, real time and real world because I was such, I'm used to a schedule. So I'm like, dang, I don't know what to do. I'm like, you know, like, should I be doing something? Like, I don't know, read or something? Like, you know, it was so much downtime. I feel like I wasn't uh, doing enough in my life. Like, I was just wasting life, you know? It was uh, hard for me to to kind of, like, be out on my own, <laughs> to be honest. Right. Without having somebody and, to tell you, somebody telling you where to be, what time, what to wear. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're just so... Uh, used to a certain lifestyle for, I mean, four years don't seem long, but it's really long as a kid, you know? Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, throw you into the fire because it's not like we could have a job when we were in college because we just didn't have time for it. So it's like, all right, now you guys graduated college, uh, figure out life, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? And and that was kind of like, it wasn't too scary for me because I always like kind of just being on my own anyways, but it's kind of like... For some people, that could be scary because uh, we're coming over here. We have to trust that our agent puts us in a good situation. You know, like we don't know who the hell is over here, what we're doing, if we're going to be put in a teepee or something or like, you don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you really don't know because you start to think about what the shit that you see on movies and it's like, is this true? Like, what's going to happen? Am I going to get kidnapped coming out the airplane? Like, is there going to be two, like, who's going to have a sign holding up my name? Is this the right person or is it a different person? Like, it could be scary. (laughs) (laughs) So are you saying, like, you think the European players are a little bit more prepared for life after basketball? Or, like, they're not as, like, babied or? um, Definitely. Yeah, they have to be more responsible. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And because I think even just, you know, you've been over here for a while, the cultural in general, like, there's kids just walking to school, taking a city bus at like eight years old. And it's like, we can't do stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) We can't do stuff like that in America. First of all, because it's dangerous. Second of all, like, we just have more of a paranoia. I think more crazy things happen in America. To where, like, you're more, like, free living in Europe. And I think that's what I love about it so much. Like, you don't really have to worry so much when your kids leave the home. Do you have teammates that work and then come to practice? Yeah, I think, yeah, there's one one girl on my team this year. She's actually a CrossFit trainer. So she does that. Yeah, she's a CrossFit instructor. Um, she must be pretty in shape. She is, and she's, like, had two kids. She's freaking ripped. She's wow. like 34 or 35. And I'm like, dang, Lenyon, girl, you look good. <laughs> I hope I, I, I can't even look like that now. 
That's awesome. Well, that was kind of another question I was going to ask you is what number season is this for you now playing as a professional? This is eight. Eight. Okay. So you've had a pretty long, um, successful professional career. What would you say to like the younger uh, generation? Like what are some of the key factors to your longevity as a professional? Physically, mentally, emotionally, like being able to continue playing and not in the States, but overseas. Right. I mean, I think the biggest thing is, you know, the longer you decide to play, like you have to become smarter. It's not just about physical physicality. Like you have to be able to play with your mind the older you get because you're going to have to start taking care of your body better. You know, basketball years and your age are different. If you're 30, um, to me in basketball years, I'm pro- probably pushing like 38, 40 years old, you know, because <laughs> of all the wear and tear. So, you know, I can't go out and party two nights in a row and think I'm going to have a good practice. You know, you have to be smart. <laughs> you have to eat good. So I think really like for longevity, you have to just really love what you do and take care of your body. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, I still take have getting an ice bath, you know, like. You have to stretch. So I've always been really disciplined about how to how to treat my body and in my eating, you know, during the season, you know, mm-hmm. in the off season, do what you want. But in the season, you have to really, really be um, what's the word like really focused and disciplined. You have yeah. to love it. You have to love it. If you don't love it, then your how your career goes will, will show. <laughs> mm hmm. Yeah, we were talking about this the other day because you kind of just came back from an injury um, and you were telling me how, you know, it's tough getting back now that you're you're 30, right? Yeah. 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 And your body just doesn't bounce back maybe as fast as it used to. And I was saying, I completely understand because I suffered during the first month of the preseason trying to chase these younger girls around the court. I was dying. like what is going on here you know um so it definitely gets harder you have to be smarter um and then I was also going to ask you as far as longevity I mean you said that in the in the off season you can do what you want but I know you work pretty hard in the off season yeah yeah I mean you know again you have to be smart but like you just have to know your body too like I know my body really well I know that usually after the season's over I legit probably take like that four weeks off cold mm-hmm. turkey um but then you know for like the last month or two before you get into your season you have to really like ease into working out you know but really start hitting it hard the last month because you know you don't want to come into preseason and just die every day in preseason but yeah you have to you just have to know your body like i know at this point i could take four weeks off and i'll still be okay you know but mm-hmm. I ain't taking a whole summer off. There's no way I would be able to even play the first three months. <laughs> right. Right. And I just think it's um it's really important to have that like mental toughness mm-hmm. to motivate yourself because it's not easy training during the summer either by yourself or finding a gym or, you know, being on top of it every day. Um and I think for players that want to play you know, five, six, seven, eight, ten years overseas, that summer is important and um, you got to figure it out. It's very important. And like you said, like you have to be mentally tough because you don't 
you don't have the team on your side like you did in college to kind of get you through the workouts before preseason or in preseason or really get you through your coaches to be on your ass. Like, you know, once you're pro, man, you're on your own, you know, and you have to, like I said, you really have to still love the sport to be able to motivate yourself physically and mentally. Like, listen, I want to, these are my goals for this year. So I have to put the work in, you know? So mm-hmm. of course, throughout these eight years, the last couple years, you know, been a little bit different for me, but uh, before that, no, it's like, I'm still a gym rat. Even during the season, I'll still go get on a shooting machine and do what I need to do to keep my handles and stuff sharp, like, doing pounds you know but yeah you have to really want it because you don't have nobody when you a pro <laughs> unless you meet up mm-hmm. with a group of your friends but they're mm-hmm. being different states you know because you meet so many people in europe and you try to link up with the people your teammates that you met from america but you know it could be hard and it mm-hmm. costs money and mm-hmm. not everybody's going to make a good living playing basketball as a women's athlete because the money ain't that good Unless you're certain some people, you know, (laughs) and sometimes you have to just evaluate quality of life and money because you could be making more money, but in a horrible situation where you're not happy at all, or you could be making less money and living in a place where you're happy, your teammates are nice, your coach treats you well. So it's a give and take. Yeah, give and take. That's exactly what I did this year. I was like, Mm -hmm. you know what? I was going through so much this summer. I just wanted to be guaranteed a job. I didn't want to have to deal with the stress of that. So Mm -hmm. I took less money and it's a good situation. It's a beautiful place. They really love me here. Like I had to do that for myself, you know, Mm -hmm. but sometimes it is give or take. And I just had to make the decision. Like, listen, if I could just sign today with them and deal with the stuff I need to deal with in real life, perfect. And that's what I needed to do for me, you know? Right. And a lot of times we don't talk about this, and I haven't talked about it too much um, with American players, but what some players don't realize is when you go over to play overseas, um, the paperwork and like the visas and um, all that, because yes, you go over, you have a contract, but when you go through the airport and they ask you, what are you here for? And you say, oh, I'm here to play basketball. And they say, okay, do you have a work visa? Um, And you don't have one that can be a problem. And there are players that have been sent back to the States because they don't have permission saying that they're allowed to be wherever it is that they are going to. Um, And so it's, it's important for players who come out of a university where everything is kind of spoon fed to them and everything is given to them and everything is taken care of to all of a sudden you as a professional athlete need to figure it out, ask questions, get the paperwork, get it all done on time get to whatever building government building you need to go to and um, and help yourself get this paperwork because i know in spain the spanish embassy that we don't have one in minnesota it's in chicago so if it's you need chicago. to go if you need to go paperwork hockey sticks Right. So I don't know what your experiences have been with all the different countries you've gone to, but I know that a couple years have not been the easiest getting all that paperwork done. To be honest, Leslie, it's only been Spain. I've never had to do all of this for a visa. Hmm. Like in every country, it was already taken care of. Like that Hmm. was it. I just had to give them my passport, go take my picture. That's it. They just needed the contract and, and, uh, and like insurance. 
Um, I know that when I was in Romania, I could be there for my 90 days as a tourist. And before my 90 days were up, I just had to go to the embassy there, give them my paperwork, my contract. And again, just go there, take the picture, passport, boom, got my visa, my residence card. Oh. Here in Spain, I've never had to do so much. That's why I was calling you. I was hitting up everybody I knew. I'm like, what is this? A FBI criminal report? What? Like, yeah, background check. Background check. I'm like, what the heck? Like, this is insane. And um, how many years? I mean, what you've been in Spain for what? Six years now? I've been. This is my eleventh. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is my twelfth year as a professional, eleventh in Spain, yeah. But not all eleven years you had to do all of this though, no? Not all eleven years, because when I originally came over, I was so young and so naive and so innocent that I just as- assumed that my club had all this stuff figured out. Mm-hmm. Um and when I went home for Christmas and came back Nobody ever asked me questions. They just stamped my passport and let me go. Um, but then when I got to Logroño, they and Zaragoza, they, um, the airport security, I think, just generally like worldwide increased. And pe- people want to know, why are you here? For what? How long? And so they started asking more questions. And luckily, when I started playing in the first division, the clubs were a little bit more on top of the paperwork. Um right. So my, my, my data, my, was in the computer system and they could see that, okay, she has this piece of paperwork. She's here for this, blah, blah, blah. It's in the system. So they let me, they let me through. And then in Logroño, um, they have all their ducks in a row. So yeah, I had to go to Chicago. I had to get my visa. I had to do all that. But now that I'm married, I have my residence card and I don't have to go to Chicago anymore. I don't have to do all that because I'm married to a European citizen. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, because I know, like, I know for a fact it never had to be, it was ever this difficult for a visa to come in Spain. Because hmm. when I was asking some of my uh, close friends that played in Spain years ago, they were like, we never had to do all of this. But then I was talking to, like, um, the president here, and they were like, you know, things just kind of got a little bit like you said, they upped the security a little bit more now, I think, because of our president. Um, <laughs> difficult. You cut out there. So you said um, that you, now that you've done it a, a time or two, you're more comfortable with it and you helped someone, did you say? Yeah, yeah. My, one of my friends came here to play. She's on the team. A really, really, really good shooter. You know, okay. we needed one. So I was like, yo, I got somebody. But because I went through the process, I was it was easy to walk her through it so it was easy for her to get her work visa to come to Spain Mm -hmm. but once you figure it out it's simple but it's just like it's a process so you have to give yourself a few weeks and be prepared to spend some money um okay a couple quick questions rapid fire kind of before we leave here because I gotta get going to weights um but are you superstitious before games oh yes I am I'm superstitious in life (laughs) Okay, but do you have specific things that you have to do before a game? Yep, I have to shower and shave before the game, and I put everything on from left to right. Okay, interesting. All right. Um, what number do you currently wear, and is it the number that you've always worn, and why? Um, my current number, I just changed my number to 13. Um, 
unfortunately, my granny, who I was really, really close with, passed away this summer. Um, and the last day I talked to her was July 13th, three days after her birthday. And uh, I was in Paris. So I changed my number to 13 because it was the last time I was able to say goodbye to my baby. Okay. That's nice. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, what number did you wear before that? Or like, did you have a number in high school that then in college and you always wore that number? Yeah, my favorite number has always been number 11. Um, but if I was not able to get 11, I always had backup numbers. So uh, like 22, 21 was a backup number. Uh, 32, because I played with 32 in my college my last two years in college because it was my dad's favorite player's number, Magic Johnson. Okay. Um, but yeah, 11. 11's the way to go. If I can have it, I want number 11. Or Kobe 8. That's it. Okay. <laughs> um, and then as an American, when you go overseas, is there something that you have to bring with you? Uh, food product, something that you know that you're not going to be able to get, and you're like, oh, I got to bring that with me. Definitely bring some hot Cheetos, man. <laughs> <laughs> Hot Cheetos, okay. Uh, and you make sure they don't get smashed. I'm well. You probably bring them in your carry-on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They don't get smashed though. They're they're pretty these, but got to bring some hot Cheetos. I'm actually getting some next week. <laughs> ah, okay. <clears throat> You've got someone bringing some for you. Yeah, my friend's parents is coming here, so I asked if they could bring a box of Gushers and a bag of Flaming Hots for me. <laughs> Gushers, okay. <laughs> That's another one that you can't really find here. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's another good thing about Spain is that a lot of people like to take vacation here. So, mm -hmm. you know, while you're here, it's nice for people to swing through if they can. Yeah, definitely. Especially in Malaga. I mean, who wouldn't want to leave Minnesota to come to the nice hot weather? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, well, Angel, we're going on like an hour here. We could probably talk for a couple more hours, but uh, duty calls. So thank you so yeah. much for your time. I love hearing yeah. your, uh, I love hearing your opinion <laughs> and your perspective. Um, everybody's experiences are different and it's just, it's fun listening to you and all the uh, adventures and experiences you've had. Appreciate it, man. It was good catching up with you. Hopefully I'll see you all soon. <laughs> yeah, we we could potentially be seeing each other in the playoffs, so hopefully that happens. Um, yeah, bring a game, girl. <laughs> I know. <laughs> don't necessarily want to play against you, but I'd love to see you. Um, yeah, we still don't know where the playoffs are going to be held, so okay. I don't know when they have to announce that. But I'm curious I to see. I thought it was going to be in Barcelona. Is that what you've heard? Yeah, that's what one of my teammates Vero told me. Okay. Well, it's not public information yet, so I have no idea. All right. Well, we'll see each other soon, girl. You have fun lifting, getting stronger, because you're strong as ever. <laughs> oh, yeah, I look like Hulk over here. They gave us some protein uh, powder, so I've been, I've been taking that after the workouts. <laughs> over there, bodybuilding. <laughs> oh, gosh. I know people like they tell me all the time and I'm like, okay, can we just not point out the obvious? Can we just like skip that? You know? <laughs> all right. Well, you have a wonderful rest of your day a good practice and enjoy that sunshine. All right. Appreciate it. Later, Liz. Like I said before, I love hearing Angel's story. She's made a name for herself through hard work and determination. 
Her positive attitude, ability to adapt, and respect towards her teammates and coaches, in my opinion, has also contributed to her longevity as a professional athlete overseas. She has played multiple years with specific teams, and that just shows how happy they were with who she was as a player and a person on and off the court. She takes her job seriously and is the first one to be putting in the extra work to get better, leading by example and bringing her younger teammates along for the ride. I enjoyed hearing her perspective on the European system. I had never heard that perspective before as to the European athletes being more responsible and organized as they go through college and enter life after school. In the States, student athletes work really hard throughout college, but it's true that student athletes live for four straight years in an environment where they are told where to be, at what time, what to wear, and so on and so forth. Your life as a student athlete is planned out almost every day for four straight years. When college comes to an end, there isn't someone there telling you what to do anymore. And for many athletes, that freedom can be a major obstacle and adjustment. So thank you, Angel, for shining some light on this topic and for pointing it out to me. It's definitely something athletes, student athletes, uh, need to keep in mind. Once again, Angel, I appreciate you for sharing your story with us and best of luck in the years to come. And that wraps up another week with another season in the books. Thank you for listening. Like always, you can find us on iTunes or Podbean, whichever suits your fancy. We'll have another story for you next week. Until then, keep on grinding.